Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of His Word. Let's begin. We're on the journey to the cross, the daily events surrounding Holy Week. This is part two. Monday, this is my house. My text is Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 12. My sources include Rich Hansen's The Week on Which the World Turns. Harry Reader's book, From Embers to a Flame, William Hendrickson's New Testament commentary on Mark, and then Studies in Mark by Bob Deppenball. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word in Mark chapter 11. We'll start reading at verse 12. This is the Word of God. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, so in other words, after the events of Sunday, which was Palm Sunday, They go back to their friend's home in Bethany, their friends being Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and they go back there to spend the night. And then the next day they're leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Now, it was March. The real season for figs would be April, but if you've got all these leaves like this tree had, you should have figs, but there were none there. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. What was he doing there? He was giving them a picture, giving them a picture of Israel. In other words, there's all these leaves and no fruit. And the same way is what we're about to read about the the cleansing of the temple on this Monday of Holy Week. And all this religious activity, but no sincerity of heart, no real true worship. And so it says in verse 15, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love for us that drove you to the cross. And as you journeyed to the cross, there were so many things that happened each day. And so help us as we unpack this passage about your Monday. Give us grace to hear the things that you are challenging us to hear. And thank you for being present with us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Fred Rogers was an American television personality. He was a musician. He was a puppeteer. He was a writer, a producer, and a Presbyterian minister. He was the creator, the showrunner, and the host of the preschool television series, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which ran from 1968 to... 2001. That's just incredible, isn't it? Well, last year's movie about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, 
tells the story of Lloyd Vogel, an investigative journalist who receives an assignment to profile Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers. He approaches the interview with skepticism as he finds it really hard to believe that anyone can have such a good nature as Fred Rogers. But Rogers' empathy, his kindness, and his decency soon chips away at Vogel's jaded outlook on life, forcing the reporter to reconcile with his own painful past. You know, if you study the life of Jesus Christ, you might agree with Philip Yancey, who in the video, The Jesus I Never Knew, says there's one impression that struck him more forcefully than any other. We have tamed him. We have tamed Jesus. Yancey says that the Jesus that he learned about, and yes, the Jesus that you and I learned about, was sweet and inoffensive, the kind of person whose lap you'd want to climb up on. He calls that image Mr. Rogers with a beard. Now, Jesus did have qualities of gentleness and compassion that attracted little children. Little children love to jump into the lap of Jesus. But Mr. Rogers, however, he most assuredly was not. Yancey writes, not even the Romans would have crucified Mr. Rogers. After hearing our text for this morning, there are many in this room who want to know, why was Jesus so upset? And to understand that, I think you have to understand the significance of the temple. The Jewish temple was the heart of the city of Jerusalem. Located in the central part of the city, the, the temple was one of the most spectacular buildings of the ancient world. Solomon built the original temple in the 10th century B.C. It took him about seven years, according to 1 Kings 6 and 7. But it was destroyed 400 years later by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. when they destroyed Jerusalem. It was replaced by a second temple, which was rebuilt by the Jews, returning from their Babylonian captivity, according to Ezra 6, verse 15. Then the one that we read about in this passage, which was undergoing this thorough renovation by King Herod, was the third temple, and it was known as Herod's Temple. It was built by Herod, not so much to facilitate Israel's worship, but as an attempt to reconcile the Jews to their Idumean king. Construction for this temple began in 19 B.C. and continued for 46 years. So it was an incredible display of beauty. Herod spent an enormous amount of money to ensure that the complex of buildings within the temple grounds stood as a monument to God and a monument to him. Much of his exterior was plated with silver and gold, and the rest was this dazzling white marble. And from a distance, people said it looked like the snow-capped peak of a mountain. The temple stood for two things. Number one, the temple was the heart of the faith of Israel. The temple, like the tabernacle before it, was the center and the symbol for the Jewish religion. Number two, the temple was the heart of the spiritual experience of mankind. In both the Old and the New Testament, the temple stood for the place where God meets with man. And specifically for Judaism, the promised place of encounter was for many years the Jerusalem temple. And with that backdrop, again, I ask you, why was Jesus so upset? Well, two reasons. Number one, 
Some believe that Jesus' concern was purely economic. I mean, those who worked at the temple during the religious festivals, like this week of Passover, were called money changers. They were businessmen who exchanged other currencies for coins minted at the temple, for the temple money. And why was that? Because the religious leaders had decreed that only temple money was acceptable to God. So as they stood there smiling, these money changers inflated the rate of exchange and probably gave the leading priest their cut so that only the rich could afford, only the rich could afford the high rate of inflation that was placed on the amount of exchange. So you see the scam? The money changers had a corner on the market so that the people were at the mercy of these typically dishonest money changers. Sort of like going to the movies when... You buy your ticket and then you have to pay $10 for a bag of popcorn and a Coke. (laughs) Other temple businessmen sold livestock for their sacrifices because this was a time where people were offering their sacrifices. And sure, a worshiper could bring his own animal, the animal of his choice, and save the fee. But if he did that, brought his own animal, he ran the risk of that animal not being approved. So... A lamb brought by a worshiper might be rejected because it had to be inspected by the priest. So if it was found to have some sort of defect, some sort of blemish, and was rejected, then it had to be traded in for an animal that was, quote-unquote, acceptable. And who knows how much that would cost. It was these traitors, these traitors that Jesus drove out of his father's house. Some have used this passage to justify their position that you should never, ever sell anything in church. But remember, Jesus did not say you have made this a house of selling. He said you have made this a den of robbers. So purely economic was one one possible reason why Jesus was so upset. But there's a second reason. Some believe Jesus' concern was one of respect or reverence. That is, as Jesus enters the temple, he can't help but notice all the hustle and the bustle and all the buyers and the sellers. And he thinks, this doesn't look like a house of worship. It looks like a market. And so it probably had more of a feel of the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange than the outer courts of the temple of God. And from all the money being exchanged, it would appear that business was booming. Not to mention the noise, not to mention the filth, not to mention the stench caused by all these animals. And so a lot of people would ask, is is this really worship? But even with all that, there's something we're missing. And I think we're missing at least two things. So two lessons. Number one, we miss what Jesus is trying to say to outsiders, to outsiders. So where was all this buying and selling taking place? It was taking place in the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles. So again, the Gentiles could only go to a certain portion. And so by buying and selling there, they were really hurting the Gentiles' opportunity for worship. Verse 17 says, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? You've made it a den of robbers. Now, this story, this story of the cleansing of the temple is told in all four Gospels. But the phrase in Mark that's omitted in Matthew and also omitted in Luke. And I don't understand Luke, but I understand Matthew. Matthew wrote his gospel for the Jews. But Mark wrote his gospel for the Romans. 
And Luke wrote his gospel for the Gentiles. So I don't understand why Mark, uh, I understand why Mark put it in there. I don't understand why Luke omitted it. But where he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. So one thing that is usually lost on us is that the outer court as a marketplace, these, these temple authorities were depriving the Gentiles of their religious purposes and use of that temple. You say, well, why couldn't they just use another part of the temple on punishment of death? They weren't allowed. There was a great big sign. There was a wall. You were not allowed. So the Gentiles, from whom the outer court derived its name, were not permitted to serve God in any other quarter of the temple. This was the only place, this outer court, that the Gentiles were to find sanctuary. It's the only place they could find a place for devotion, prayer, and meditation. You know, one of the early words a child learns is mine. This is mine. No, you can't play with that. It's mine. I don't know about you, but it's always troubled me until I started looking around at the many things that I consider mine. Take a moment and think about that. How many things do you consider yours and only yours? Mine. Yet, in our text, here is Jesus saying to these outsiders, to the Gentiles, my house is for you as well. He's really looking out for the Gentiles here. He wants them to know, I'm here for you as well. I'm here for you as well. The Jews did not get that. So I think we miss what Jesus is saying to the outsiders, but I also think we miss what Jesus is saying to the insiders. And that's the second lesson. It's easy to think that, you know, this is my church. But guess what? It's, it's really not. It's not your church, not my church, not really. It, it's God's church. It's God's church. Jesus is saying, this is my house. This is my house. Remember what you're here for. You know, I think about that with our officers, our elders. The elders' first order, according to the book of order, is to represent who? Not themselves. Not anybody's opinion. Other than what they believe God's opinion is. So they're representatives of Jesus Christ. An elder is to represent the mind of Christ. Not his wife. Not his friends. You know, you aren't an elder's constituents, really. Audience of one. And the elder's first duty. What is the first duty of an elder, according to the book of order? It is to evangelize. To share the gospel. To tell other people about Jesus Christ. So I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to all of us on the inside. We need to be thinking about what God wants for his church. A little boy asked his father what the highest number he'd ever counted to was. And the dad said, well, I really can't remember. And so he said, well, son, what, what's your highest number? He said, 5,372. He said, well, wow. Why'd you stop there? He said, well, church was over. We laugh, but are we any different than that little boy finding something to do during church? The reason that Jesus cleared the temple was because the Old Testament temple was God's house. And Jesus was God. Yet, where is the temple today? 
Right here. The temple of God is with men and women. The temple is the spirit of God in us. So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6. 1 Corinthians in the New Testament chapter 3. Corinthians 3.16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves, and he makes it very clear that this is a plural statement. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So he's speaking to the whole church here. He's telling the whole church. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So it really binds us together as a church family into a holy temple unto the Lord. And then turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6. He's talking about sexual immorality here in this chapter. And he says, run away from sexual immorality. We need to hear that. Run away from it. Run away from sexual immorality. And then he talks about the uniqueness of that sin to our body. He says all other sins are outside of a man or a woman's body. But sexual sin... Is against their own body. And then he says this in verse 19 of chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies because your body is a temple. And as much as I love this facility and as much as I hear so many people who visit us love this facility, and I know so many of you love this facility It is a beautiful place that God has given us to gather and to worship. But this is not God's temple. This building is not His temple. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. In the New Testament and beyond, God has a people for His temple. So, why are we here? In the closing time, let me try to answer that. Number one, we're here to listen to God. We're here to listen to God. Jesus' first order of business after arriving in Jerusalem was to reclaim the temple for its proper use as a center of teaching for all who were looking for the kingdom of God. And so having declared the temple, he now uses its facilities for teaching the people, just as he had done in former days. And though the chief priests and the scribes resented him for this, for the time being, for the time being, there wasn't a thing really they could do about it because... All the people were eagerly listening to Jesus teach. So when you come here on a day like today, would you say that you're just trying to get through the hour? Are you really listening to God? Are you really listening to things that God wants to say to you in this worship service? Are you just trying to check it off? I've done my religious duty. Then you're no better than that fig tree. If that's the case. Because Jesus said, I'm looking for fruit. And I don't see any fruit on this tree, and so this tree is no good. And so he cursed it. And then a little bit later, if you read down down further in the text in Mark 11, you'll see that they came back the next day, and it 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 was all gone to the roots. It was rotten to the roots. So, um, again, many, many scriptures that talk about how we are to bear fruit for Christ. We are to show fruit. The love of Christ is the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things that are the fruit of God's Spirit at work in us. 
But we're supposed to show fruit that we really are here to listen to God. Could it be that you too are a robber as well? That you have robbed yourself in the past of the opportunity to learn the things that God intends for you to learn. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11. Hebrews 5 verse 11. It's a really scary passage here in Hebrews 5. The writer of Hebrews says, we have much to say about this. And the subject doesn't really matter. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, you're a baby. You're a baby in Christ. And some of you have been following Christ most of your life. Are you still an infant in the faith? Are you growing in the faith? Are you making progress in the faith? Are you listening to God's word? Are you listening on Sunday morning? Are you listening to the things he wants to say to you? He says, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. In other words, you need to engage with the scriptures. Engage on a Sunday morning in this worship service, but don't let that be it. Listen to God while we worship together, but listen to God all week long. And then the second thing is, we're here to talk to God. We're here to pray. And I hope that even while I'm preaching to you, you're praying, Lord, search my heart. Speak to me, Lord. Jesus reclaimed the temple for its proper use as a house of prayer for all people who were seeking the kingdom of God. So when you come here on a day like this, would you say that your prayer quotient is great or small? Are you just kind of going through the motions and listening and trying to listen? Maybe not able to. Who knows? How does your prayer life assist or impede your recognition of God's visitation in your life? Would you even know it if God was trying to say something to you today? Prayer is a two-way communication. You talk to God. He talks to you. And He speaks to us through His Word. And in our spirit, He speaks to us. So, to listen to God, to talk to God, and then third and finally, to praise God. And that's why, you know, if you don't sing when we sing, it's, you may not can sing. And I get it. But I'm going to tell you, I have a friend in Dallas. We used to stand by each other sometimes when we'd sing and worship. And he was horrible. He was horrible. It was the worst sound coming out of his mouth. But he sang anyway. And I love that about him. I love that about my friend. And I would say to you, we're here to praise God. We praise God through prayer. We praise God through songs. In a moment, we'll sing a song in closing, and I hope that you'll sing, even if it's not your custom to sing. And maybe it's your pride that that keeps you from wanting to sing and open your mouth and sing praises to God. That's why we're here, is to praise our God. You say, like we said last week, well, worship's kind of a private thing to me. Look, God knows your heart. If you love Him, He knows that too. He sees all. One writer defines praise as the spontaneous overflow of enjoyment. And I hope that you find enjoyment in this worship service, not because of the sermon or the music, but because you know that God's spirit is here because we're gathered in the name of Jesus. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, that first question is such a beautiful question. What is the chief end of man or mankind? And man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To enjoy Him because of His goodness. Because of the privilege that you have to worship here. I read of the suffering church almost every day. 
as a way to remind myself of how blessed I am to live in this country and to worship like we're worshiping now without any fear of reprisal, without any fear of persecution. We have the wonderful privilege to follow a loving God who loves us from, from everlasting to everlasting. And he gives us this privilege of worship and we should look forward to this. We should, we should plan our weeks around this so that we can be here like you are today and worship him in spirit and in truth with God's people. There's nothing quite like it. You can worship him alone and that's a beautiful thing, but there's nothing like coming together with God's people in corporate worship. We band together and encourage one another. Psalm 24 is our verse of the week, so please look at that in your bulletin. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Please read it with me. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. In the Broadway play, My Fair Lady, Eliza Doolittle is courted by a man named Freddie. Freddie writes her all these love letters every day. But Eliza's response to all these promises is to cry out in frustration. Words! Words. I'm so sick of words. Don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, show me. Don't talk of love lasting through time. Make no undying vow. If you love me, show me now. That's what God is saying to us. Even today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. We love you. Because you first loved us. And on this journey to the cross, help us to know your love. Help us not to be like those that had no clue as to why you were clearing that temple. Why in the world would you do something like that? Because the zeal of the Lord consumes you. Your love for your father. Your father's house consumes you. And Lord, may our love for you consume us. Would you fill us with your loving presence today, Lord? And for any in this place that do not know you and don't know what it is to experience the love of Christ in their hearts, would you come to them and speak to them? Would you speak to people today, Lord, that haven't heard you speak to them in a long time? Would you put your arms around them, touch their hearts, let them know that you, you want so much to have all of them, all of their heart, in love with you. And so, God, give us grace that we might grow closer to you today through our worship and through our time with you. We thank you. This has not been wasted time. This is important time, significant time. And so, Lord, we praise you and worship you, and we thank you for your word that has spoken to us today. And we pray that as we leave these doors, we might be different people, filled with the love of Christ. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.